Welcome to the Equipped Podcast, where we dive deep into the world of business and entrepreneurship. Each episode, we will bring you insightful interviews with entrepreneurs and business owners who are making waves in the marketplace. From sales strategies to marketing innovations, leadership insights, and effective lead generation, this is your go-to source for staying ahead in the business game. Now let's get equipped for success and get to today's episode. Before we get into today's episode of the Equipped Podcast, I want to take this time and give a shout out to our two exclusive sponsors of today's show, Prospects and Mint Leads. Both of these organizations focus on lead generation and getting you qualified leads on your calendar that can convert to new business. And if you are running a business and you are finding yourself constantly in the hunt for growth opportunities... The key often lies in having access to qualified leads, and that's where our sponsors come in. Prospects is a LinkedIn marketing organization that helps you with qualified leads, but then helps you create content that convert. The team at Mint Leads helps you with your emails. They help you get your emails opened and in front of the right people at the right time. If you would like more information about either of these organizations, head over to goprospect.com and schedule a call today. That's G-O-P-R-O-S-P-E-X.com. Now let's get to today's episode. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Equipped Podcast where we're equipping you with the tools and insights that you need to grow your business in the marketplace. Thanks so much for listening to another episode. We have a very special guest with us today and one that I'm excited to hear from. We have the CEO at Rooted Software, where he brings extensive experience in system selection, software development, core system implementations, product and product management. Please, everyone, help me welcome Toby Weiss to the Equipped Podcast. Toby, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, really stoked to be here today. Thanks for having me, Dan. Yeah, I am too. I'm very excited to hear uh, hear your story, hear a little bit about what you all do and how you guys do it. And so my intros never give the guest justice. So give the listeners a little bit about who Toby is and what it is that you do. Sure. So Toby Weiss, uh, British accent, but I've been in California 17 and a half years. Um, still drink uh, tea with milk in it, um, but definitely... California guy now, um, married, four kids. Um, so yeah, um, I run Rooted Software um, and we are spread out across the United States, I think in 13 different states. Um, we have a special, especially hubs in California, Colorado, Virginia um, that kind of spread out. And like you said, kind of focus on three or four main areas, um, managed IT, being a big one. So we'll, we are the outsourced IT department for small and medium businesses and nonprofits, churches as well. Um, and essentially we, we just take the pain out of ID, IT for a lot less money than hiring a full-time person. Uh, we also do app development, uh, mobile apps, web apps, uh, integrations, and, um, and then systems in terms of like people come to us and say, we hate our CRM. We hate our email marketing software. They don't talk to each other. Help us pick software that works well, we'll, we'll do that. Um, 
a large, large amount of our customers are non-profits, probably about 80%. But also work with businesses. So it's a little bit about, about us and myself. That's amazing. So how did you get into the space, into, into this space? Or how did you even get to California? Let's go there. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm a tech guy since I was at, since I was a child, honestly, so probably started about at age four, um, I got a, do a computer science degree in the UK for the University of Warwick, and uh, then I was a software developer in the city of Oxford. Um, and I had an opportunity uh, to serve in a role uh, of IT director for a nonprofit in San Francisco, a global nonprofit. Um, and as it happened, I. I met I met a lady. So most people ask me why why do you move to California? She was the main reason. Um, moved here for love, but and she's now my wife and mother of my four kids. Um, married sixteen years. Um, the job really was the enablement, um, and I I was I served there I think seven years as director of IT for this nonprofit, and then uh, became CIO global CIO. So grew a team there both in the US and overseas, um, managing. Yeah, managing a bunch of database migrations and all of their IT needs. So that's really, and they were, since they were a nonprofit, I would say that's how I learned the nonprofit systems and technology, especially. Is there a big difference? I was going to ask that question. Um, what What is the difference? Is there a big difference? How would you describe that? Some things are the same. Everyone needs email, files, Zoom, collaboration tools, accounting software. But there are things that are differences that are unique, maybe in the nonprofit and ministry space. So whereas a business is going to talk about customers, invoices, sales, marketing, a nonprofit's going to be talking about donors, volunteers, donations, still still some marketing, but different a little bit in the nonprofit space. The systems they're going to use might look a little bit different. So you got to have volunteer management software um, and event management software, things like that. So, yeah. Is the security different in in that too, or the security about the same? Security is about the same. You know, you've got systems need to be secured, multi-factor authentication. It's still true that the biggest risk to security is the people using the software. Uh, so, uh, and then needing security awareness training and how to how to know the difference between a secure website, why you shouldn't reuse the same password twenty seven times, um, basic basics skills at that yeah Similar. yeah so when you got into the the nonprofit space what was it i mean why is it that you continue to work in the nonprofit space is it something that is it a passion of yours like where does that come from yeah nonprofit space is uh, is a passion of mine and you know i've spent a lot of my time in the, in the ministry space specifically um but we work with all kinds of nonprofits both ministries healthcare higher education and it's kind of become, it's a level of expertise. And I've, what I've noticed is that there's not a lot of tech companies that really do specialize in nonprofit technology. Um, there's a lot of, for example, discounts available from Microsoft and Google and other companies that nonprofits have available to them. And so we want to work with tools that they need, uh, with the software that they need. I, it also, it just bothers me that nonprofits have really great, a really great cause, a really great purpose why they're existing trying to change the world make it a better place to live and technology is supposed to help them achieve their mission but in reality it ends up slowing them down because they're not using it effectively because they're not technical people they're they're passionate about what they do so we want to come in take away the pain of technology so they can get back to focusing on their mission 
it's like you know exactly what I want to ask next, and so you lead yourself into it, which is phenomenal. But when that when it comes to working with nonprofits and understanding their mission, what they have on the back end, and you coming in as a partner and partnering with them and helping them with IT, how do you help them realize that if they just had services like you all, then they would be able to provide more for what their mission is? Is there is that a is that a hard thing you have to get by? Most of the time we're coming in there because there's a mess and we and they yeah. need us to fix the mess. So most of the time, you know, there's if they're a smaller organization, most of the time they'd be going to Best Buy and buying whatever computer they need and bringing it back and trying to wing it. They might have whatever email they founder originally set up when they started the organization. Often we'll find like they're using a bunch of different collaboration tools. You've got the Dropbox guy and the Google Drive guy and the SharePoint guy and the box.com and there's no consistency. They probably haven't even thought about security. And at some point, their head explodes. Like, we need a plan. And we haven't got the people at the time to manage the plan. Please fix it. But they, but the thing is, they can't afford a full-time IT guy. So, you know, they don't want to pay a six-figure salary for a full-time personal staff. And that's that much larger organization. So we kind of fill the gap there. We're a lot less expensive. Charge on a per user per month basis. So it's like scalable as you hire people that's a fixed cost. But, um taking the pain out of IT, providing here's a consistent tool for email, here's a consistent tool for file collaboration, here's what you need at least base level for security um, and getting that stuff in place. Also making sure they have good computers which are patched, which are well supported, they have a physical office, they need a network uh, which is reliable and secure. So just kind of taking the pain out of all of that stuff and freeing them up. Do you feel like there is a point within a nonprofit that this happens. So do you see a lot where if there's a nonprofit that started that they are out, you know, working and they have donors and then it it at this point this is when they need IT or this is at what point I guess, you know, revenue wise, does that make sense? Like is there a point yeah. that it's like okay, they need this. Yep. If I had to give you a number, I'd say probably revenue maybe I'd guess about 250,000 minimum. Um, you know, when they kind of outgrow, I'm just going to go to Best Buy and fix it myself. And then staff, I mean, when you have four staff, you know, minimum five staff, you, you need to have consistent tools across the board. Um, I actually run a nonprofit. So one of the ways I know about nonprofits is like personally, I'm executive director of a small nonprofit in the Bay Area that serves homeless people, called Hope 680. And, you know, we're, we're, we have like two staff people, uh, you know, probably don't need IT and obviously our own IT company, so I'm, I'm good. But if I grew to the point of five staff who are full-time, I would not want to spend my time on that anymore. I'd want someone else to like fix the computers, you know, help them understand the basics of security training, uh, help them use the email and the collaboration tools and even even the other tools like CRM and volunteer and event management effectively help picking the right software. And so that's about that's about the right size there. Awesome. Well, let's talk about Hope. Is it 680? Hope 680? Hope 680. Yeah, Hope 680. Yeah, let's, let's talk about that a little bit. Where did that come from? And it serves the homeless in the East Bay area, correct? Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah, so talk about that a little bit. Yeah, um, I am a follower of Jesus. I'm a Christian. I, I believe that if we're, if we're actually serious about faith, that it should make a difference in, in our lives. Otherwise, what's the point of a bunch of, bunch of talk if it doesn't actually change the way we live and, the, and what we do and uh, specifically uh when it comes to homeless people honestly before i was the follower of jesus 
I didn't really pay much attention to the to the guy begging on the side of the street in London where I was or Oxford. Um, and suddenly something changed in me. Like I couldn't ignore them anymore. I wanted to do something different. Um, and I there's a lot of homelessness specifically in the Bay Area in California. Um, and there's a lot of homelessness, but also hopelessness, like no vision and no dream of how they can get out of that mess. A lot of drug addiction mixed into that. Just kind of this downward spiral. And I'm, I'm a big believer that faith um, can be the catalyst that changes their situation, specifically faith in the Bible uh, and Jesus um, and what he can do to to break that power of addiction and sin in their lives. Um, and so we go and share that with people, but also give them meet their physical needs, put them in touch with local resources, and um, really seeing the fruit of that, people breaking their, breaking their addiction, getting involved in a local community, maybe in a church, going to rehab, and finally that cycle of, I went through rehab 20 times and I kept failing to, I made it all the way through. We, we see that change in people. So that's why I'm doing that. Wow, that's incredible. Um, that is incredible. And I believe that uh, it's no not hidden on here that I am uh, the, a Christian as well. And I believe what you are doing is, that's fantastic. And I would say that, is, is that, is, is there a lot of that in the San Francisco area and the California area? Are there nonprofits popping up right now with that with the population out there? What's that landscape like? There's a lot of nonprofits. There's not not so many faith based nonprofits. There are some, a uh, small number of faith based nonprofits, but the number of homeless continues to grow in this area. Um, in my specific area, I called it Hope 680 because the freeway. That runs right right where I live is the 680 freeway, and I'm literally going underneath that 680 freeway. So it's a geographically specific, like within 20 mile radius, uh, kind of north and south down the freeway. Uh, there's really very very little right here, almost nothing, in terms of um, faith based organizations reaching out to homeless people. So it's something I do in collaboration with my church, who kind of support what I'm doing, and dreaming and praying about getting eventually purchasing a, a house which would be a place where people can come and do a six to 18 month recovery program so that's kind of what i'm dreaming about right now uh, that's amazing thank you for sharing that that's really cool and the fact that that's kind of what your business and your work is in is even all is even cooler as well and so so let's go back and when it comes to it and, and ministry and churches what is the do many do many churches have robust IT systems? IT man, like what's that like? What's the landscape like? A lot of so especially small to medium sized churches. I go in and have the conversation, and they show me around the church, and I look at their IT, and I say, "How did you get this stuff? How did you get these computers? Who put up those cameras?" And the answer is, "A volunteer put it up." You know, this guy who was in our church, he was great, and he did it all, and now he's moved away to Oklahoma, and I'm like. Okay, so who's doing their IT now? And they're like, now this other guy. Most of the time, a lot of churches, it's they they have a low budget, and so they kind of start out by necessity with a bunch of people helping out, which is great. It's great that the church has people that help out. The problem is, as they grow, it's not sustainable, and you end up with kind of a hodgepodge of systems that don't work well together, or old cameras that need to be replaced, and no one knows how they were set up originally because the guy had moved away. So they kind of get to the point where they outgrow volunteers and they need more professional help probably can't afford a full-time it guy uh on their small staff like i went to, to a church last month i think five five staff pastors one admin staff and volunteers set up everything and i'm like 
show me your computers. And they're like, here you go. And they like turn it on. Bloop. I'm like, oh, there's no username and password. And that's got all your members stuff on there. Probably need some security here. I'm like, what's your like email system? They're like, you know, Gmail. I'm like, you probably could get a, you know, a domain with your church on it. Would probably be a bit more professional and secure. You know, what's your file sharing system? They're like, oh, this guy uses Dropbox and this guy uses Gmail. I'm like, did you know that you can you can all use the same thing and it would be you'd be able to communicate better. So they just needed kind of like bread and butter. Like they're not thinking about security. They're pastors that caring for the flock, and they just that's not their job. So I'm like, I can come in. It's not expensive. And we'll just take care of all your computers, all your network, your streaming for your trash services. Let us take care of it and let us free you up to get back to your work, but also protect you. Like, I was like, how's security? And he's like, I called a guy the other, I came in Monday morning and I had footsteps and there's this guy like walking away on one of my laptops with my church's data on there. And I'm like, okay, so what are you going to do if that laptop gets stolen? Do you have a way to wipe it remotely? Do you have a backup of that data? No. So it's just like, being proactive rather than reactive when it comes to technology and security. Otherwise, just a matter of time to bite to in the butt. So, yeah. So, that example of, of medium to small churches in the five, I think that's really good. And my my question would be like, is it better on the front end for nonprofits and maybe let's say churches to focus on IT and security in the beginning? Or is it one of those things where, hey, let's just do what you can do. And when you grow, then we'll come in and try to fix it. If somebody came to me specifically and like was starting up from scratch, I would live, I would want to give them some advice from the very beginning because there's ways you can set up. I'm a big believer being a, a business guy in building a scalable organization, whether it's a business or a nonprofit. What I mean by scalable is I don't want to build a business that requires me to be here forever. I want to build a business that grows outside of me and beyond me. That's scalable. You can add people and that means you need solid people or solid processes uh, and solid systems to build a scalable thing. And and if you start out with that in mind, you're going to make better decisions. And you can do that really inexpensively, even free, but just the decision-making process, it might be in getting, you know, investing in a domain name for your emails for the beginning. So when you hire more people, you can, you know, just basic things like that. So I would want to give somebody some advice without even them spending a lot of money. And then as soon as they grow to the point of, okay, I've got like four staff now, we want to actually like provide company computers and have a real email account and have, you know, then then it's worth starting to pay for it. And then, you know, because if you're working with a company like ours, where it's just a fixed cost per person per month, well, you're not going to pay a lot for people. And then there's a scale that grows in a manageable way. And it's just a fixed cost per employee. What, what's the, what's the IT landscape? What's your definition and how has it changed since everyone started to work remotely and work from home and do things like that? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. And I, I have the joy of running a company that's like 95% remote. And that wouldn't have been a thing. In fact, I, I talked to people who have been in business for a long time and they don't understand, like, how do you have a company where everyone's spread across the whole country? Like, how does that work? What does it look like to have hybrid people? And the answer is much more reliance on technology. It's not optional. If you want to have a meeting with somebody, you're going to use Zoom, you're going to use Teams. If you want to, like, Whereas in a physical office, you might stand at a whiteboard with some pens. You use tools. I use, I like a tool personally called Miro, M-I-R-O, which is kind of an online whiteboard diagramming tool. Or there's other tools out there. Microsoft has one, except Apple has one. But that you need to use technology to communicate effectively, to collaborate effectively. 
I'm a big, I'm an old school. I'd rather get together with people in a room, have sticky notes on the wall. Like that would be my preference. And we do that sometimes, you know, you travel up here and that, but the rest of the time, technology can be a helpful way of communicating better than you would if you were just making phone calls without, without using some of those cloud-based collaboration tools and things. Yeah, I, I like the idea of, of still getting together and collaborating. There is something of of just getting together and, and mashing it out together and coming up with what you guys, what you're doing. And, you know, I firmly, um, I agree with that. I, I do agree with that most most likely. So talk a little bit about, um, I would say, your family. I want to know a little bit about more about Toby and your family. You've got four kids. You live on the East Coast. You have this business. You have let's say you, I think you said over how many time zones is your employees? What's it, what's it like for Toby? Yeah. So, um, family. So yeah, my, my wife, um, is a homeschool mom. We have four kids, age three, five, seven, nine, and she is works even harder than me. I'm managing her schedule like every 10 minutes of every day. She's got like the whole year planned out for all four kids every day for the entire year, what she's going to teach them. It's amazing. Um, and so I'm, I'm thankful that we're able to able to do that, and I able to to enable her to do that. She was a, a preschool teacher before we had kids, and but she really sees this as a ministry herself. She also, my wife, helps me with my uh, nonprofit, Hype Six Eighty, and so she manages all the supplies and the donations. She spends a lot more hours than I do in a week just organizing donations and getting it ready, like getting the a Bible backpack ready to hand out stuff or blessing bag with non-perishable food. So she's really busy there. My kids also help with that. Um, then we're involved, very much involved in our church, Sundays, Wednesdays, community groups, bunch of friends who homeschool. So there's kind of the community that builds up there. So it's pretty fun. Um, and then in terms of time zones, so yeah, I've got all the, you know, Eastern time, Central time, Mountain time, Pacific, uh, in my company. And so I'll get, you know, I, I wake up every day, 5.30 a.m. before the kids and I'm, I like to read the Bible in the morning and I'll, I'll have Slack messages coming to me. You know, try and leave my phone away from me. I one of the ways, obviously, I do a lot of stuff between the family and the nonprofit and the business, um, and so I'm quite careful with my time. Like I time box my time um, to be very careful that, like, one of the values of my company is God first, family second, work and ministry third. Like that is how we behave, how we treat our staff, and what we expect. And, and I do that. I consider that myself. So. First thing I do in the morning after making coffee is read the Bible. Um, kids wake up 6.45, spend time with the kids, a little bit of time, pray with my wife in the morning every day, Monday to Friday at least. Um, and then, yeah, go go work um, probably 7 to 4.30, something like that, and then come home uh, and then spend some time with my kids in the evening until they go to bed and then time with the wife. So I try to be really intentional with my time to keep those priorities in check. And, and I also communicate that to the people who work for me like your god is your number one priority and then your family and then work in ministry that we don't want to mess that up wow well no what values and i can tell just by the way that you communicate that and time blocking it's interesting once you i have one kid toby i have one two year two and a half year old and so i don't have four you have four that's just a whole nother level and my wife you know, is at home with my two-year-old. And at the end of the day, I'm like, she has a way harder job than I do. And with four kids, I can't, you know, that's just a lot. Like women, I tell you, God made women very strong and have a lot of patience because sometimes 
when I'm around a lot of kids, it's uh, it's very questionable sometimes what I say. So, um, well, that's I mean that's awesome. And having four kids and having a business in IT, what's the what's the landscape right now? Kind of going back to a little bit about Rooted Software and and Hope Six Eighty. What's the future of your industries with artificial intelligence and AI? Yeah. It's exciting to see how the world has changed so quickly in the last year. Whenever anybody asks me a question about a new technology, I would always say that there's a range of responses that people have to new technology. And on and the two extremes of that range, on the one extreme, people would be maybe afraid and like, it's going to take away my job or it's going to destroy communication, you know, that kind of afraid. And so they don't want to touch it. On the other end of the spectrum, you've got the early adopters who want all in, like I'm I've got a, like an AI machine in every room in my house. I'm buying the latest Samsung phone with AI built into it. And, and I'm just going to fire everyone and replace them with robots. Um, we don't want to have either of those extremes. So I, I don't want to be the guy who's afraid of AI uh, because it's a useful technology. Like I use it, for example, I have an AI tool that listens to my Zoom and Teams meetings and transcribes them and gives me like action points and next steps. And it's not as good as a human, but... I don't, we don't all have time to write beautiful notes and, and all that. So it's super helpful. Um, I wouldn't want to over embrace it either. I think there's a, something really valuable to the human element of relationships that you can't replace with a computer. Um, I'm not a massive fan of like the automatic e- AI emails. I know that's a popular thing because I really believe in, I believe in the human relationships. I, I think that people are designed to be in a relationship with one another and we don't want to throw that away. But as long as we're prioritizing relationships with people and we're using AI as a tool to help us, not to replace us, uh, not to take away from the relationships, maybe to add to them and help us. So I think if, if we get the balance right, it's good. And so, for example, you know, some other ways that I'm excited about AI, you know, when you look at like data, you know, everyone, nonprofits have data on their volunteers and their donations, and they need, there's more data in businesses and nonprofits than any of us can manage. And we need to be able to analyze large amounts of data effectively to make decisions from it. AI can help us to do that faster and more effectively than we can do without it. So as soon as we can get that data, and then you can ask in human language, you can ask questions of your data, like who is my best donor in 2023 that I need to give attention to in 2024, based on you know giving patterns that it can analyze and give you the answers. That kind of thing is super helpful. So I'm very excited about software companies who are um, taking advantage of it. I will give you an example. We work with a, a nonprofit CRM company called Virtuous CRM, and they're really big in the nonprofit CRM space, and they're working really hard to build AI tools, uh, reporting and analysis tools into their CRM, so the nonprofits can ask those kind of questions of their data. I can't, I can't wait for that to be rolled out and to for us to learn it and help our help our customers take take advantage of that. But that's not going to replace people; it's going to just be a helpful tool to help them in their jobs. Yeah. And that's the thing. What's so awesome is I get to have conversations with individuals and the AI conversation is in every sector. It's in almost every sector of the business and nonprofit and for profit. And it's it's remarkable the people that are utilizing it in the right way to you and, and take advantage of it. Like like you said to like, you know, fireflies and transcribing your notes within your emails and it just gives you that good structure of what it can do is there in your in your mind when it comes to it what's the how how do we make sure that it stays safe in the it space 
I would just encourage people to be careful about it. In fact, one of the reasons why you'd want to partner with an IT company is just to manage things like that. Like, for example, privacy, like who has access to my data, especially who has access to my company data. Because if that, if you give your data to some re, you know, AI company and they get they have a data breach and your customer data gets into their hands, then we're liable because we allowed them to have that. So I would I would advise people to be very cautious about who they are giving access to their especially private data to. Um, and then and then to keep a log of that and audit of that. Um, think about security, who has access to that stuff. Um, and then, yeah, just people, people that kind of have an attitude these days of wanting to try things, but try them, you know, if somebody is a leader of a company asking me that question, I would say get a small team of people like trying out new tools and make a decision on the tools you need and consider the security implications before you roll it out to the whole company. Mm-hmm. Don't just roll it out and ask the questions later. Um, and it's hard with, we're just used to like, oh, it's a new app, I'm going to download it. But I think when you're giving your sensitive data to a company, you need to bit bit more bit more time and attention than just giving them everything. Mm-hmm. Amen, I could not agree more. Uh, since you were talking about mobile apps and mobile app is something that you guys do at, at Rooted, what is the what do you think is is having apps for businesses and nonprofits is that going to become more commonplace is that what you're seeing that you're going to be able to have an app and create an app just like you have a website what's that going to be like um actually in, in many ways i feel like it's going the other way like people are used to if it's just like a website like the data that you you know when you go on a nonprofit website like who are who am i who's our team what's our mission how can you support us financially? Who are my staff? Probably they're just going to have a website. Um, but I think that apps can provide an additional richness of, of experience in certain situations. Like, let's say they're a, uh, they're a company that provides streaming video content and they want a, a really nice way to consume that content. You're going to have a much better experience than the app, like you might on the Netflix app or the Disney Plus app, um, compared to trying to watch video on a website. Or another situation where an app would be super helpful is when you're trying to build a community and you want not just sharing information in one direction, you're trying to create a two-directional community between people and you want a, a tool and a place to collaborate there, an app's going to be a better way to do that. Um, or another situation, actually, we build an app for our church for teaching kids, parents to teach their kids catechism, which is just like Bible truth stuff. And they wanted a way to like a homeschool mom or or anyone, a dad picking up their kids from school on the way home can like open up some questions and be like, who is God? Why does he send Jesus? And there's like to set questions and set answers to facilitate that conversation. And that is a better experience than you might have if that was a website that you have to hunt for the website apps just there. So so that's my answer, I guess, is like for general one-way information, websites are cool. For more specific things where you're trying to build community, or have a really excellent user experience, or maybe video content. Um, I think there's there's infinite opportunity with apps, um, and so it just it just depends on the organization and the, and the use case. Yeah, and that's a good explanation. And I've had that conversation quite a bit when it comes to apps and should people have them, and should their organization and communities have them. And so I think that's such a unique topic to to speak to. And so kind of as we tail off into a little bit of 2024 rooted software 
how how do you guys see growth? What are you guys measuring on? Are you guys wanting new clients? How are you getting those clients? Because we have a lot of people that listen to this that like to know about how are people getting customers in 2024? So how about Rooted Software and you know one that focuses a nonprofit? How are you guys going about that? Yeah. So yeah, we we get a lot of customers honestly through referrals. You know, our customers are happy and they tell other people about us. Um, so I would I would say that's our best way of getting so like you there's a lot of ways to get customers, but when you get a customer through a referral or when you have an opportunity, it's a good opportunity because they they've got this super warm introduction from someone they trust. So we prioritize that. We ask people for referrals. We do also go to conferences, um, both nonprofit conferences and ministry conferences, just to get our name out there and we have a booth and talk to people. So we're seeing fruit from that. Usually in the short term, you just make enough to make pay for the conference and then 50% more. But then it's kind of like you're building long-term relationships. Because the best the best opportunities come from who you know uh, and, the, and the relationships more than anything else. There's obviously other things you need to do to get your name out there. So when it comes to website, uh, social posts, um, and then even, you know, calling and emailing, uh, you know, churches or nonprofits, in my case, in a particular geographic area, like we're here, we're experts in what you do. We'd love to be able to help. And we even offer a free tech assessment. So if somebody is like, I know that I don't like my tech stack. I know that I need help. I don't know exactly what's most important. I don't know exactly, you know, how you all will help. We want to, we offer people a free tech assessment. So, you know, 30 minute Zoom call, we'll just ask a bunch of questions, understand where people are at right now and give them a clear, uh, easily identifiable and affordable path to move forward. So you don't have to fix everything all at once, but you can take little steps. We'll help people create that plan. And even if they don't want to work with me, they've got a good plan and they can take it and run with it or we can help them. Um, So that's been a big part of how we grow. Um, Yeah. That's probably the main answer to that. Yeah, we're, we're looking to grow, you know, in all the so IT, building apps, help helping people software, especially excited about IT because I just keep see, keep having the same conversation again and again. Like they're just making do and they, they might not see it as a priority because they're like, well, the computer works. But when somebody who's an expert comes in and says, but you could be saving like 50 hours a week if you just had tools that work well on systems that talk to each other. And then like, Okay, this is actually safe. Buying, you know, paying for real software is actually saving us money when you consider the time savings, tools, and equipment to watch. And that's always that's not a bad business to be in, is when you're saving businesses money and time. That means people are going to continue to use you. So that is a very good business model. So if someone actually wanted to have like a free assessment with you, how do they get a hold of that? Is that something I could put in the show notes, or what does that look like? Yep, just come. Our website is rooted.software. Um, and if somebody comes to rooted.software uh, on the homepage, scroll down to the bottom of the homepage, and there's a big button, just go to my free IT assessment. Uh, and we that, and that will be with me. So you'll get to talk with me and talk some British. Um, but I would love to, I'd love to have that conversation. And that's totally free. So yeah, just rooted.software, no.com or anything like that, rooted.software, and button at the bottom of the homepage right there. That's fantastic. What, Toby, what is kind of the last little question here? What's the vision and mission behind Rooted? Um, what do you hope in the next five to 10 years with what you guys have going on? Yeah, so we exist to help ministries, churches, and nonprofits leverage technology effectively. That's why we exist. Uh, our desire is to to grow in a, in a sustainable, manageable way and to really become 
we want to be the nonprofit and ministry one-stop shop for technology. Like I need help with computers. I need an app. I need software that works well. I'm going to call Rooted Software because they know nonprofits. I know that they can help. They have happy customers. And so that's really where we want to be. We want to be the, the tech experts in the nonprofit space. Um, especially excited to grow the IT side of our business because we have just a, a great team of technicians who love just jumping in the calls with nonprofits and kind of taking the stress out of the day. Making we actually making people's days better by making the technology work for them. So that's yeah. kind of our vision. We've been growing real fast. We're currently at 27 staff. Um, just started this business three years ago. So um, just seeing that growth continue and being able to take the pain out of nonprofits' lives. Uh, so they can focus back on their mission. That's what we're excited about. That's amazing. Well, I'm I'm here to cheer you guys on and the mission and the vision and the the purpose behind it and what you guys believe in as an organization, putting God first, and then um, your family and then ministry and business. I think that's or your business. Yes, I think that that's phenomenal. And so, if someone wants to get in contact with you, of course, you can go to the, you can go to your website, try out the uh, free assessment, but if someone wanted to follow you anywhere else, where are you most active? Where can they find you and talk to you? I'm on LinkedIn. If you search for Toby J. Weiss, W-E-I-S-S, Toby J. Weiss, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, or just email info at rooted.software and I'll get back to you. I get those emails, info at rooted.software. I'd love to be in touch with any listeners. Awesome. Hey, Toby, thank you so much for your time. Enjoy learning about you and your business and what you all are doing over on the West Coast. And so I appreciate you again, guys. Make sure you go and follow. Ask him a question. If you have anything on LinkedIn, if you want the free tech assessment, head over to rooted.software. Check that out. And if you think this episode would be helpful to any of your your current clients and or if you are in the nonprofit space, make sure you head over and do all the things that he was talking about. So with that, Toby, thanks again for coming on to the Equipped Podcast. And guys, like I say at the very end of every episode, if you are on Apple, make sure you head all the way to the bottom and give us a five-star rating and a five-star review. That helps all those fancy algorithms out there. And so with that, Toby, thanks again, and we will see you next time on the Equipped Podcast. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode of the Equipped Podcast. Do me a favor. Go to Apple, scroll all the way to the bottom, give us a five-star rating and a five-star review. Better yet, share this with someone that you think it would add value to. And if you think you would be a good guest on the Equipped Podcast, shoot me an email at lane at goprospect.com. That's L-A-N-E at G-O. P-R-O-S-P-E-X dot com. Until next time, see you guys.